Welcome to Educator Wellbeing, From Principles to Practice, a podcast brought to you by Utah First Lady Abby Cox and Western Governors University Senior Vice President and Executive Dean of the School of Education, Dr. Stacy Ludwig Johnson, facilitated by Marty Carpenter of Northbound Strategy. This limited series focuses on supporting teachers nationwide by providing strategies and resources to help educators thrive. You can find this podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and video of each episode is available on WGU's YouTube channel. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. We're joined today by Utah's First Lady Abby Cox and Western Governors University Senior Vice President and Executive Dean of the School of Education, Dr. Stacey Ludwig-Johnson. And we're also joined today from San Francisco by Amelia Azul Elgus. Amelia is a former classroom teacher who worked with over 3,000 pre-service teachers as faculty in the School of Education during her first seven years at WGU. She's now a learning experience designer and online community and engagement specialist with the Center for Professional Learning. To all of you, thank you so much for being here. In this episode, our educator well-being focus is on thriving, thriving teachers predominantly, but also what educators can do to help their students, schools, and communities thrive. So let's start here. We'll go first question to the first lady. Uh, Why the focus on thriving in education instead of character education? Well, I think thriving is is a, is a word that you know. If if we're just surviving, that, I guess that's the opposite. If we're just surviving, that that doesn't feel right. Um, I think we want our students to thrive. We want them to not only uh, have the the academic education that they need, but we need them to be really productive humans. And we know that in our own work, in our own uh, uh, employment, we know that. Uh, human connection is is one of the biggest uh, attributes, one of the biggest skills that we, that we need to learn to be successful. And you know, it's so interesting that um, our our students need that. But if we can't get our our teachers there, if they're not thriving, uh, we're not going to get our students thriving. So I think they can't do this alone. I think it t- it takes a lot of us. It takes an entire community. But it really does start at the top with administration and, 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 and our policies around education that help us to make sure that teachers have what they need to be successful and to thrive. I've heard someone say that the definition of adulthood is just week after week saying, if I can just survive till the end of this week. So we all have a little familiarity with it. And, and Dr. Johnson, I presume there's an element, there's some kind of balance there. There are times that you're surviving, but there are times that thriving is really what you're after. I guess you're always after thriving, but there are weeks when you're going to have to just say, all right, this might be a survival day or a survival week. Yeah, I think so. And, and I think when we, when we listen to our teachers and just the many challenges that they face in the classroom and um, all of the responsibilities and, and everything that, that they carry on their shoulders, um, the ability to really sort of shift to thriving. And I think when we think about the teacher shortage really sort of across the nation, that ability to thrive, we really hope leads to greater retention in the classroom, which helps us go a lot further down the road in terms of of really sort of uh, filling that gap in the shortage. So that's one reason why we've been focusing on it um, at WGU. So we we took our frameworks, we talked on the last podcast about healthy learning and the various pillars. And so, um, one of the pillars under that healthy learning is our character-focused framework. And 
um, that really does focus on thriving schools. And so the idea is we actually took that one level deeper and built it into our curriculum in our professional dispositions and ethics uh, for teachers. And our whole goal is that when future teachers come to us, we expect that there's some growth in this area, um, that, that we support them um, across that entire trajectory of their experience while they're working with us or any education preparation program really in the state or nationally. Um, and, and our focus is to build um, sort of high quality teachers, leaders, and learners and really look for opportunities where um, they can give, give back through and to the community. Um, and we're really looking for sort of like what's the greatest good in terms of that sort of work that we're doing. And I know, Amelia, um, a lot of this is evidence-based, research-based, and you'll be sharing with us a bit more about the frameworks. Aside from even sort of like the academic theory to it, I wonder when you're dealing with teachers who are pre-service, right? They haven't started teaching. Um, there's an element to expect, I guess, when you start that you're going to feel like you're surviving. How do you get them ready for year one to say, hey, this, there are going to be days when you're surviving, but here's how you can maximize your thriving days? Oh, absolutely. I mean, those seven years that I was working with pre-service teachers over and over, I heard two things. One, I'm so excited to go into this profession. This profession means so much. It's a noble purpose. And two, how am I going to survive and thrive through the profession? And I look at my grandparents who were career-long educators. They both were elementary teachers for over 30 years. And I actually was asking my mom the other day, how do you think they thrived through their whole career and how did they stay in their career? And she said, well, they believed in the purpose of this work. And that's what I heard from pre-service teachers as well. They knew they were going to transform lives. They knew that it made a difference for the students they worked with. And also, they took a nap every day when they came home. <laughs> so that's the thriving piece. It's like we're driven by that noble purpose, as all of the teachers who originally go into the profession are. But then the reality of long days and work schedules and pressures and all those things come upon you, and you need a nap at the end of the day. Or you need whatever it is that helps you fill yourself up. My grandparents also, my grandfather played the piano. So after he took the nap, he'd play the piano. And after my grandma took the nap, she'd cook dinner. She loved to cook. And so you find those those things that for you keep you filled up within the profession and working with students and communities and families, but also the things that keep you filled up personally. And I think that balance is really important to, to stay sustainable over years and years so that you can have a career, a full career in the profession. And you work a lot with teachers before they get into teaching. I'm wondering if there's a, a flip side of that on the far side of like, it's new and I'm overwhelmed and I'm surviving. And then there's maybe an element of, I get this, now I'm thriving. Is there, is there a balance that has to be made when you get past that to like, maybe I'm in a, a rut, maybe I'm just in a routine. How do I get back to that middle ground of thriving? Dr. Johnson, any thoughts on how teachers go about that? Yeah, I think it's looking for what really energizes you. So that may be additional professional development. It might be attending a conference. It might be spending time with another mentor teacher, but looking for those opportunities where you can find joy and energy um, and, and bring that back, whether you're working as a teacher, any really professional, sort of like, what is that thing that really brings you joy? Um, and, and one thing that, you know, is really clear too, is the teaching profession is changing. And so uh, we're always looking for opportunities to truly understand what is it that teachers need that create the excitement and bring some of those uh, best skills to the, to the classroom as they're working with students. Um, because I think our students are changing too. They're coming to the classroom um, in a very different sort of profile and space um, than they have historically. And I think part of that's COVID, part of it's just 
all of the pressures um, in our communities today. So that's really what we'd be looking for is like, what do you, what do, you do? What, what fills your cup back up? Oh yeah, I think that was good. You know, I think too that teaching is a unique profession. And, and I think we have to sort of establish that and, and understand that, you know, in a, in a different kind of profession, you may have uh, really easy ways to collaborate. You may have really, um, you know, day-to-day -day interactions with other adults that are doing the same work or that you're collaborating with. And, and, and we see that to some extent, but there's a lot of sort of isolation in your classroom at times. And, and so sometimes that can be uniquely difficult for teachers to find that community, to find that sense of connection. And, and so I think we have to recognize that and then be intentional about how we address that to, to make sure that we give teachers the skills to be able to, uh, to, to be successful. Absolutely. Um, I, was, I was thinking just about the energy too within that classroom of all of those, all the different responsibilities um, when when I used to um, teach very young kids, just you're bringing the kids in in whatever their circumstances were when they arrived at your doorstep. And it may have been a great day. It may have been a rough day. Um, I have a middle schooler right now, and I always think, oh, as she's walking into the school and looking at all the other kids, I'm like, the, the teachers, oh, help the teachers. But um it's, it's interesting because you think of all the, the personalities and the, you know, the investment from the family or any sort of opportunities or challenges they may be facing and all of that comes into the classroom. So not only are you on, you're supporting you know, 20 to 30 kids and all the needs that they have at the same time and then also trying to sort of um, redirect and, and bring them through so they can get the most out of the class. It's exhausting. But it's so important. And I think that's that's what I love about this idea of the thriving is like, how do we uh, help people bring out the best and enjoy that work? Yeah. So I know you talk a lot about character development and you, you can maybe you could explain to us a little bit about how you're integrating character development and the character core into teacher training. Uh, specifically the teacher training programs at WGU. Can you give us a little insight on that? Yeah, so we're integrating character, the character-focused approach into the degree programs, but also we have a professional learning program for current teachers and principals around the country. That's the project I've been on for the last three years. It's been really powerful to see how we're taking this approach, and it's a holistic approach. So the approach includes a variety of character qualities. There's 28 character qualities we've pulled out. Integrity, compassion, empathy, critical thinking, intellectual engagement, humility, patience. I mean, these amazing qualities that we know help us as humans thrive. We've pulled those out, and then we have some key principles where we integrate that into the educational experience. And I think a lot of us as educators know that math is really important, but math in the context of our community and our lives is even more important. And how we show up as an individual in our communities is really, really important. How we can engage in those difficult conversations through critical thinking and through intellectual engagement. How we can listen to one another another through empathy. Those are skills that teachers develop all the time with students in the classroom that may not get noticed or recognized. And we want to make that work really intentional because often that work um, is unnoticed. But I think all of us can think back and remember that teacher that really impacted us or that set of teachers that impacted us. And when we think, what was it about that that impacted us? 
Was it the way that they taught a lesson? Maybe that was part of it, but probably a larger part was who they were as a person and what they inspired within us to become. And I think that's a lot about what the character-focused approach is. How can we inspire that best within ourselves, within each other, and within the communities? And there's a lot of really specific practices and ways to do that. I mean, anything from morning meetings where you check in with all your students to see how they're doing. Like you were saying, Stacy, the pressures that students are bringing into the classroom today, the stresses of society, if you can have a moment to connect with your community there in the classroom, imagine how, how relieving that is for you as a student who might be coming in with stress that in a classroom that doesn't do that type of check-in, you may spend the entire day upset because you're food insecure at home or some other thing like that. But if your community can share that with you and your teacher can support you in that, you may feel able to focus on your learning that day which is what you're there to do, but you're also there to connect with your colleagues. So, um, you know, there's a lot of pieces to the character-focused approach, but a lot of it is about how do we connect to ourselves and bringing those qualities forward. And then for the teacher, I mean, that's the research aspect that Stacy mentioned. There's an amazing meta-study that came out this year with over 500 studies from around the world half a million students, K through 12 students, where they looked at what's the impact of bringing these qualities into our schools intentionally. Um, and what they found is amazing. I mean, it improves academic performance, which makes a lot of sense because if a student is seen and heard and valued, then they're gonna thrive academically, but it also improves their emotional stress levels. It increases ethical leadership and leadership in students. And then also it helps teachers stay in the profession longer. Because imagine if you're in a classroom where you also feel seen, heard, and valued by your students, you're not in the stress of behavioral challenges all day, every day. You're actually in a healthy, thriving community where we're all listening to each other. As a teacher, that's also relieving. Very, really, I can say from my own experience as a teacher, when I'm in those type of classrooms, it's like, oh, I look forward to coming to class every day. I feel filled up within my classroom. I don't feel exhausted at the end of the day. I actually feel filled up and excited, you know, even at the end of the day. So, um, so that's a piece. That's a piece of the character-focused approach is putting it into all those different aspects of our day. Yeah. 28 seems like a lot of little areas that everyone can improve in. I think that that extends beyond teaching, right? We all have, if we looked at that list, that comprehensive list of 28, we'd say, I'm probably good at 14 of those and any good day, ignore seven of them and seven of them I could work on. But this element of in investing time and thought into here's some things that you need to be focused on is really helpful for, for teachers or really for anybody, right? Yeah. And, you know, I think when, from my perspective as a community member and not a current educator, I think it's incumbent upon us as as community members to really look at ourselves and, and ask ourselves, how can we be supportive of these? And how can we, uh, you know, display these kind of characteristics, uh, these skills with the teachers that we interact with? Um, you know, I was thinking about a, a, a moment where I went into my child's classroom. Uh, it was a parent-teacher conference and, um, she, you know, my son is very, you know, disorganized. And, and so she was trying to gently say, uh, you know, without offending me that he's got some work to do. <laughs> he's got some things to work on and, and, it's, and it's frustrating to her. And, and I just took that moment to say, first of all, you know, I'm a teacher, so I, like, I get it. And, and I wanted to say to her like, that I get it. And I said, what can I do at home that will help you 
to be, you know, that, that will help him in the classroom. You know, what can I reinforce at home? Did she fall out of her chair? She, I, I mean, you just <laughs> saw like the walls kind of come down and it was like, oh, I feel a kindred spirit here and I feel like we're, we're a partnership. And so I think as a community, even if we're not, you know, a teacher, if we're not in the classroom, what can we do as, as community members, as parents, as, as, administrators, um, counselors, whatever our role is, what can we do to make sure that that teacher is supported, feels supported, has those, those, um, that ability to connect with people, um, has that moment where they can say, okay, I, I feel great now because I know I have somebody on my side. Look, we have, I'm really worried about polarization in our country and in our communities coming down into the classrooms. So I think it's really important for us as community members to say, how can I address this issue that I feel is important, but in, a, in the best ways? And then teachers need those skills to have those difficult conversations. Again, I, ha I had a kindergarten teacher who's my dear friend and my, and my kid's teacher who came in and said, you know, she said to me, I had a parent come in, this is during the height of COVID and, and, and was, you know, had heard something on cable news and really was sure I was teaching terrible things in the classroom. And I, she said, I just explained to her, I am literally trying to teach your child how to write his name. <laughs> so I think, you know, as we, as teachers, we need those skills to be able to have those difficult conversations. We need those skills as community members to take a step back, not have contempt, and really listen to each other. And I think that helps that thriving process happen. I wanted to jump in on that really quick because I really resonate with what you're saying, Abby. And we actually had this principal who came in to talk to our Thriving Schools uh, program, and she talked about within her school, school-wide, they really practice that respectful discourse, and they've done training for their teachers across the board around that. How can we bring into our academic subjects talking about non-controversial issues, do you like football or baseball, and teaching children to have those conversations where we differ in our opinion, but we listen to each other, we respect each other through the whole conversation, that's key character quality that need to come in from an early age within the classroom so that when we get to our adult stages, we can continue to have those respectful conversations across differences. And there is a lot of research around this where kids who learn these skills, sort of these debate, conversation skills, whatever you wanna call them, um, being able to see a different point of view, kids who learn that at an early age become adults who are less polarized, who have the ability to see a different side, who have the ability to say that I might be wrong and, and you know, what can I learn from this person that has a different opinion from me? And, and so, you know, as we think about our role as educators, can we bring those, those skills, those, those conversation skills, those debate skills, if you will, those disagreeing better skills. How do we do that in a, in a way that, you know, kid, that becomes a part of kids' lives and they become the adults that we want to see uh, that maybe we haven't modeled very well as adults in their lives? Yeah. Amelia, I know there's a framework to all of this. You kind of walked us through some of the high elements, but we, we've got a graphic I want to put up and show people so they can kind of see. And maybe you could walk us through this character-focused approach framework. 
Yeah, so we've got these four areas, and these are research-based areas. So a lot of different scholars have studied this for years and years, but we're into these four areas of character, intellectual character. So those are the things like self-directed learning, intellectual engagement, critical thinking, which we talked about, curiosity, humility, patience. Um, we look at how important those are within the classroom and in our communities and lives. And then the other area is ethical character. For us, we've pulled out several areas there. We've pulled out trustworthiness, applied ethics, compassion, empathy, integrity, and justice. Um, we've pulled out the area of performance character. So within that, we've got educational leadership, reflective practice, courage, creativity, mindset, optimism, purpose, and resilience. And then in our community area, we've got civic engagement, which we've been talking a little bit about, acceptance, advocacy, agency, gratitude, inclusion, service, and teamwork. So these 28, these are the 28 I talked about earlier. And of course, there are hundreds of character qualities. We pulled these specific 28 because they align with very various frameworks in our university. They're also well-researched. Um, and then we have the guiding principles so that a teacher could in their classroom say, okay, our classroom and our school, the key qualities in our school are inclusion and service and creativity. So they don't use all 28 perhaps in their school or their classroom, maybe they just pull out those three. And so we wanna highlight those in our classroom through this whole school year. And together we're gonna to work on those continually. Yes, we have them up on the board, but we don't just have the word inclusion or teamwork on the board throughout the day, everything that we do, what activities can we do to bring those to life? Whether that is working with a partner or a teammate in an activity, or whether that's serving a buddy classroom and doing reading with an older or younger buddy classroom where we start to bring alive inclusion or whether that's having those circles I mentioned at the beginning of the end of the day all of the different practices where we can bring these qualities to life so we pulled those 28 out and then we have the five principles which I think you saw in there as well it's prioritizing character intentionally and holistically integrating it so again it's bringing it intentional um, making this work named so that students know what it is and then cultivating those healthy learning and working environments through these practices valuing all of the community members who are part of this work. So Abby, you were mentioning, Stacey, you're mentioning also, it's beyond just the teachers in the, in the class with the students, it's also the counselors, it's the administrators, it's the parents and caregivers. How can we include everyone in this work together? And then sharing those learnings. So sharing those learnings in our school with fellow teachers, with colleagues, with families, with community members. Um, so we look at this as a holistic framework and approach that could be used within any school setting or any classroom. And and really each community would want to cater it to something that is applicable to them, that's authentic for them. And we would need to make sure we include all of the community members in that discussion. It's not just one teacher or one principal saying, this is what we value at this school. It's how can we come together and have these conversations and make those decisions together. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of head nodding in the affirmative. Anything you want to add to that, uh, to the comments on the list and the graphic that we saw? I was just thinking about uh... Uh, the teamwork and one of the things that um, I was I was speaking with a teacher the other day and she was talking about how um, in her classroom she's set up sort of a community in and of itself and they have a, a essentially like a classroom agreement where each person like what are your responsibilities when you come into the classroom every day and how what what are our responsibilities um, as friends. Um, and teammates in this in the classroom, um, how do we disagree respectfully? Um, you know, so I think there's some ways where uh, I was just thinking specifically about you know how you could actually set that up within your classroom. 
um, and, you know, as a very real sort of authentic, um, and not only would it make it a, a much a nicer day for everyone involved, it sort of gives you the ground rules and um, you can build the foundation from there. But then I think it also gives a bit of a relief to the the teacher as well, because there's other kids within the classroom taking on some of those responsibilities. And that's just a great leadership opportunity. So I think you can take the same sort of framework, not only apply it to the community as a whole, but then even within individual classrooms. Um, it can be really successful. And Amelia, I know you've taken some time to be in classrooms recently. Maybe you could share some of your success stories about how this is actually working in the classroom or how you've seen this boots on the ground uh, implementation. Yeah, it's been amazing. We've been able to visit some national schools of character and see how they're implementing this school-wide. And then also my experience with the different teachers that I'm currently working with and have worked in the past. We went to a school out in St. Louis where they had a school-wide list of five character qualities that they had focused on, but they together as a community decided those weren't resonant with them anymore. About 20 years they'd had them. And so they had whole school-wide discussions where students said, no, this is really important to us now. So they changed those qualities and you could feel it. When you walked into the classroom, yes, you saw those qualities around everywhere the school, around the school, but you saw them in action. We walked into classrooms, we saw students deeply engaged in collaborating with each other, teaching each other. A lot of that student to student leadership was really present. Um, and then you also, for them, one of the qualities they brought in was inclusion. So you actually saw students, we saw students in wheelchairs, we saw students of all different backgrounds collaborating together harmoniously, which is not always the case. Um, and so when you have a school where from principal to teacher to teacher, everyone is sharing that together, you see a really strong impact. Um, we also went into classrooms and schools where teachers were really supported and, and there was long-term longevity within the school for those teachers. Teachers had been there for 20, 30 years, some you know, coming into five, six, seven, eight years, but you could tell they were satisfied. And so we talked with some of those teachers and asked them about that. And they said part of it was, we know that there's a school-wide culture, a climate, a healthy learning working environment, but also we, we feel connected to each other as teachers. We went into the staff room, we saw teachers who were doing all sorts of activities in their community together within the school and outside of the school. Um, and then we also saw students impacted in so many different ways. I mean, I can think of specific students that we chatted with who said, I feel seen here. I don't feel like I'm coming to a school where, you know, I'm not acknowledged or known. I feel like I'm seen by every single person here. The principal, the teachers, everyone knows my name. They say hello to me every single day. They know my challenges. They know my struggles. And they still keep me moving forward. They still are championing me. And... It's very tangible when you walk into a classroom or a school who prioritizes this. It's not just the banners on the wall, it's the actual practices that are integrated throughout the school. Um, so it's been really powerful to see that and really inspirational. We met a, a principal also, Dr. Coburn in Massachusetts, who is incorporating student voice. She does regular weekly and monthly meetings school-wide with students. She hears their complaints, their concerns, everything that they want different in their school. And they have a leadership team of staff who integrates that into the school. They take the student concerns seriously. That makes a huge difference for students to feel like they're heard. Um, so we've just seen so many models, model after model. I'll share one other one. Um, there was Dr. Richards in Washington. She actually is a graduate of our ed leadership program. And um, she now is a principal in a school up there. 
She does all of the service learning within the school and within the classrooms. Students go and volunteer. They write letters to healthcare workers. They write gratitude letters to healthcare workers as service. They go work in the community serving at elderly centers. They do service learning where they're out um, just practicing this in the community as well as in their classrooms. They buddy with, with partner school districts and they have like high schoolers and kindergartners working together and learning from each other. So across the board, they're integrating it not only into the day-to-day -day classroom experience, but in the community. It's been really inspiring for me, really inspiring to see when we know, like you mentioned, Stacy, at the beginning, that the profession is struggling. A lot of, a lot of educators are struggling to see thriving schools and thriving teachers and thriving classrooms, it's really energized me about this work. Um, I feel very passionate about this work because I see it working. I see it working for many different people. Well, and it sets, I'm sorry, I was just thinking about, so you could take that same conversation and lift it and it's a healthy workplace. So when you think about what you're modeling for those kids in those classrooms and how to interact, um, in a way that, again, everybody's voice is heard, like you're setting a foundation that they can build on um, as they continue to move up through different grades, but then also into the workforce. So it's just really, I mean, I was just sort of reflecting on that. That's what you'd love to hear anywhere, right? And so to have it start at the school level is really great, so. That's what I was going to ask you. It sounds like a great place to work. Well, yeah, it sounds like a, a phenomenal place to work. And I also think not only can you lift that from the classroom and from the, the actual school setting, I think you can lift that model into the community. There was a school district here in Utah who who decided there was there was a lot of contention around some of the curriculum decisions and and some of the things that were going on in the school district and this superintendent decided that he was going to have these community meetings where the community could come and have these conversations talk about what's important to them and they really did come up with a framework for the school district as a community and say these are the kinds of things we wanted it happened to really you know model a lot of these characteristics and a lot of the things they were trying to do anyway. But once the community understands it, sees it, feels that they've been seen and heard as well, that they, they are invested. The one thing about education is we as parents and community members have an emotional attachment and, and strong emotional ties to what happens to our students in the classroom. So that creates either a really powerful dynamic with parents and teachers working together, or it can create the opposite where there's a really adversarial relationship. And I think using these characteristics and these character education uh, points, I think as we, you know, as we bring that out to the community, that actually uplifts the entire education community as well. All right, so let's turn to practical implementation. And Amelia, we'll start with you on this one. What are some questions teachers can ask themselves or exercises they can go through to help put this into practice? I think a really good place to start, and again, this is supported by research. So, so all of those meta-studies, I mentioned four of them, I focused on one. They share that starting with yourself, 
is most effective, and then moving outward from there. So in terms of teachers, I would suggest starting with yourself and asking, what does it take for me to thrive? Me personally. So yes, I eventually do want to align with my school and my classroom and my community, but tapping into yourself, start to ask yourself, what do you need on a day-to-day to thrive in this profession? What fills you up? What brings you joy? What originally got you into this profession? Why did you start? And when you started, what did you imagine it would become? Kind of reinvigorating that vision. I would also say looking at those character qualities and saying, which ones are my strengths? Which are my superpowers? Because we all have certain ones. I mean, you mentioned, Marty, you know, we're all working on certain ones and certain ones we're struggling with. That's part of the process too. But we all have certain ones that we're really amazing at. So I would ask teachers to start looking at, are those qualities within you empathy? And maybe that's what drove you into the profession. How can you power that up within yourself, not only externally, but for yourself, turning that empathy into care for yourself on a day-to-day basis? I think that would be a good start for the the process. Dr. Johnson, we'll give you a final word. I think, um, Abby, when you talked about how isolating it can be to be a teacher, um, that sort of not only isolating, I think even within the building, if it's not a healthy environment, but I think it can be isolating as a teacher when you don't have that strong connection with the families too, because everything you do, you know, works in concert. And I love what you said earlier about sort of a parent stepping up and saying, hey, uh, let's talk about what's working really well or what can we work on? And then I'll work on that at home. And we do sort of the same at this particular school where it's, you know, we actually talk about like, this is all the things that we're doing at home and how does that extend into the classroom? It's a two-way street. And I think if if uh, if parents and, and other members of the community can sort of step up and think about how can you, you know, what is your input into a thriving environment for that classroom? Because that impact then is 20 to 30 kids that are, you know, they're all sort of part of that community. So I I think that's something at least I've been really learning too as a parent because each one of my kids is so different. So it's like, how do I help the teachers and the school building and everyone else that's going to surround my child during the day to, to help them and to help my child be as successful as possible. Final thought to the first lady. Yeah, I, I mean, this has just been a great conversation and, and I think we've learned so much and I think it's, it's time for all of us to sort of self-reflect on, on these characters and characteristics and how do we develop them in ourselves. I, I also agree that I, I think that it's really important that we learn this as a community. I think that we have to connect each other. We have to connect our parents to our, our teachers. Uh, I think that's the most powerful bond that we have. That's the the biggest, it's kind of our superpower. Uh, That's what I learned as a parent is that my superpower to help my student is actually to have a really great relationship with, with my student's teacher. And, you know, being able to text, being able to say, you know, this is, this is a bad thing. I mean, I walked into my, again, the same kindergarten teacher with my daughter who is, she's going to be quite a communicator because she talks a lot (laughs) and did from a very young age. And I remember walking into that classroom that first day in kindergarten and saying, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Here she is. And she's going to talk your face off. But she uh, so so she was prepared. I was relieved. And and I knew that she was going to thrive in that classroom because I had this really incredible relationship with the teacher. Not every parent 
has that skill set because I was a I was a teacher, so not every parent has that. I think it's really incumbent upon all of us to show what those skills are. Just the the littlest thing to say, how can I help at home? You know, I maybe can't make it to a parent teacher conference. Maybe that is not in my schedule, but can I have a you know a late phone call? And I think almost every teacher I know says absolutely. I would most teachers they are. Uh, I, I think the real frustration for them is that they aren't connecting with families. There are a lot of families they're not connecting with. And sometimes the families they are, are not is not positive. So I think it's those interactions, all of us as a community, learning these characteristics and being able to thrive together so that our teachers can thrive with our students. Great insight. It sounds really simple that what we need is this utopian classroom, but it's very complex in how we get there. And there are so many variables at play to get them all right uh, takes a lot of really concentrated thought, effort, and uh, discipline to go make it happen. So thank you all uh, for your insight very much today. Today's podcast will be available to stream on demand on the WGU website. You'll also be able to find the reflection questions there. We encourage all of you teachers to realize you are not alone, even if you may seem that way in your classrooms at time. You're seen, you're heard, and you're valued. And we invite you to tune in next month when we talk about rural educator wellness an important topic that touches communities all throughout our country. Thanks for listening to Educator Wellbeing, From Principles to Practice. This limited series is available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and video of each episode is available on WGU's YouTube channel. To learn more about the School of Education at Western Governors University, visit wgu.edu backslash school of education. To learn about First Lady Abby Cox's Show Up initiative, visit showuputah.org.